you have your Bibles, open them up with me, please, to Revelation chapter 20. I believe we left off in about verse 7 last week. So that's where we're going to pick up. And just to get a, a running start, we are in um, the part of, of human history that is after the seven-year tribulation period and, <clears throat> and the beginning of the thousand-year rule and reign of Christ. Now, if anybody in here is kind of confused about the thousand-year reign of Christ and the timeline and what we read last week, join the club, okay? Um, the Bible does have, we showed a couple places in Isaiah where there's prophecies of things that will happen during that thousand years. The, the verse that, that, that many of us know and have heard in the Bible, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. And those aren't verbatim words anyways. I think it's a wolf that it says in Isaiah. But the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child will lead them both by the beard. And, and many verses about kind of events that we tie to this thousand year period. But really, in chapter 20 is the only place in the Bible that describes exactly what what timeline and how it's going to play out. But we, we can't ignore this, or this is going to happen. This is what the Word of God says. And even though there's, again, not volumes and chapters of the thousand-year reign of Christ, we see here in Revelation that after the seven years, we will go into here on earth on a refurbished or remodeled earth because it's going to have to be, right, remodeled to some degree. And again, there's prophecies that during the thousand-year reign of Christ, it says that streams will flow in the deserts and that, that in the desert place will be um, lavish green. So God's going to give the, the earth a makeover, a facelift, because as we've read, remember, through the seven years of God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world, the earth has been destroyed. There's, there's been very possibly nuclear explosions all over the earth, meteors hitting the earth, thousand-pound um, hailstones hitting the earth, the, the waters, the dry rivers have, gr- have dried up, the green grass has withered, the, um, the, the waters and the oceans have died and turned to blood, and so all that's going to have to be reset. And so that's kind of where we left off was this thing. We talked about last week, um, for those of you that weren't here, what it's going to be like during the thousand years, what to expect, and then where we get to today is at the end of the thousand years, Satan is going to be released for one last final rebellion. Now, why is the big question, right? For a thousand years, the world has lived in perfect harmony. Now, one of the prevailing ideas about you and I today is that men are subject to our environment. And we we behave a certain way because of the cards that are being dealt to us. And because of bad situations, because of bad living um, situations, because of crime, because we grew up in poverty, because of A, B, C, D, whatever, that, that it affects who we are. And so for a thousand years, people um, who are going to come through the tribulation, who are still going to be in their bodies like we have now, and, and they're going to be, again, we talked about the idea that when, when you're having babies for hundreds of years and people will live to be a thousand years old, it says in Isaiah during the um, tribulation or during the thousand year reign that if somebody dies at a hundred years old, we're going to say that a baby died because of the longevity. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve lived to be 900 years and everybody in those days lived um, lots of years. That's going to happen again. And um, so with this longevity and these people and population is going to explode going to start small, but as we know, the exponential growth and with those things, the population on the planet will grow. And these people will have lived, and we'll be there, ruling and reigning with Christ, and we'll be the true immortals. Anybody see the movie recently? Immortals? It was okay. Um, But we will be there because we'll be in our glorified bodies, ruling and reigning with Christ, and we'll probably have territories and jobs and things that we do. I talked about ITs last week that you know, don't don't worry about having to, to cover Hawaii. I've already asked for that territory. So I'll have Kauai, Hawaii, and that's where I'll be set up serving Jesus on Hawaii for a thousand years. Or or uh, I might be busy on my surfboard the whole time, but I'll help, you know, I'll do my job when, I, when I'm done. So when the surf's down. The surf's up? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gotta go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so this, these... These folks who have lived, again, in this perfect society, when Satan is released, what's fascinating, and what we see here, what we're about to read, is that people are going to, and they still have sin bound up in their hearts. And, and, and the thing is, the, the hard thing to wrap our minds around, one of the things the world doesn't understand, one of the things that the world is going to point their finger at you as a Christian, 
is that your God is a tyrant. Your God, why does your God allow terrible things to happen to good people? Why do babies get murdered and molested? And why are there travesties of war? And why does your God allow these things? And, and, and um, this is one of the accusations that are going to be pointed at us. Well, none of those things are going to happen. Because God is going to put a stop to those things. And there's going to be a perfect society and rule and reign. But the, the answer to the question and why Satan is going to be let out one last time it is the same answer to why bad things happen. It's not God's will. And, and, and again, people don't really like this. It sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like a cop-out almost, but it's because God gave you a, a choice to create love. That's the bottom line. There has to be a choice in order for there to be true love. And, and that in order for God to be able to reward you one day, when you stand before God in heaven on, on, on Judgment Day, on Reward Day, and He gives you something of value, there, there can be a, a true exchange because you've earned it. Because, you, you, the, it, again, if God forced you to love Him and never gave you a choice, and then He rewards you for it, what's the reward? You didn't do anything. You didn't, you didn't make a choice. But because you choose to love God, a God you've never seen, a God that, that, that you believe in by faith, and you know is real because He's poured His love into your heart. And, and for these folks who go through a thousand years of, of rule and reign with Christ in the flesh, they've never had a choice. They've only seen what's perfect. And we're going to find out that all the excuses that, that society is, is, the, is the reason for all of our woes, we're going to find out that's not true at all. Because people who lived in a perfect society where there, where there are none of these things, no hospitals, no police, no, no sickness, no cancer, no um, anything, you make the list for yourself. Just a perfect rule and reign of Christ where, where there's no government, no corruption, and no stealing, and no commercial system that's designed to keep you in poverty. And everybody's thriving, and everybody's doing well, and everybody's healthy. And then Satan is released. Some dummies. <laughs> Who are these people? But they do. I don't know. Let's read it. Verse 7. You ready? It says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from prison. Everybody say, boo. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now, just really quickly, I don't want to get into it at all, but you can make a note there if you want. And you can even study it for yourself, what you think, you know. But it, Gog and Magog is listed in verse 8. This is not Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 37 and 38. To gather, that's a different, different battle, different, different scenario. Um, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And so Satan is able to, again, gather one last rebellion, one last army, one last um, Armageddon, if you will, as the armies of Satan are gathered, they, I don't know how long this takes too. It says when the thousand years have expired, so between that time, I don't know how much time Satan is given, it doesn't say, to, to, to gather his rebellion and, and, and convince people of, of um, God's faults or God's, you know, whatever, that they want to follow him and that God, again, as they say today, is is just not um, as God is a tyrant and he's not loving God and these things. And so Satan is going to convince them and then, and then the Lord is going to devour them. In verse 10 it says, And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here we have the final solution to the unholy trinity. And we've been studying these three characters, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the devil. The devil filling the Antichrist, but we again get a picture of the unholy trinity through um, the book of Revelation. And remember in the end of chapter 19, at the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus shows up, remember that little detail? When Jesus shows up to the battle of Armageddon, before he destroys all the flesh and all the people and the birds of the air begin to circle and are going to feast on their flesh, at the battle of Armageddon with the word of God that comes out of his mouth, it says he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and he puts them into the lake of fire. Now, this lake of fire that we're reading about here in this verse, that's eternal hell. What is hell today is temporary. 
and, and it, it will go away just like the Bibles we're going to read in the next um, few minutes where it's going to say God will create a new heaven and a new earth. So the hell that, that people live in today and are in a waiting place there today is temporary. And eventually it all goes into this place here. So when Jesus mentions hell, oftentimes um, it, it's, a, it's a word study on the word hell, Gehenna, lots of different kind of Greek words that describe most of them in the New Testament when you're reading the words of Jesus other places are usually describing what is there today. We, we also call that, um, Jesus gave the, the analogy, or, which wasn't a parable, it was a true story of Abraham's bosom. On one side was paradise, there was a great crevasse between the two. On the other side was a place of great torment. The rich man and Lazarus both died. The rich man went to the side of torment. Lazarus went to the side of paradise. And the rich man said to Lazarus, can you put one drop of, t- of water on my tongue? And, and he said, you know, even if I wanted to, there's, there's this great, great divide between the two. And I could. And he said, will you go back and tell my brothers of this place? And he said, if they don't listen to the Holy, to the prophets and the Word of God, they won't listen if one comes back from the dead to, to tell them. And so we have that. That's temporary hell. A lot of people believe that temporary hell, it makes a lot of sense, that it exists in the center of the earth. The center of our earth is core, molten lava. It doesn't necessarily need to. It could be in a, like heaven could be. It doesn't have to just, you know, heaven is always described as up in the Bible. Jesus went up. He ascended. When you see heaven, it's, it's described as up somewhere. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's where you look up and you see the stars. It could just be right here. It could just be in a different dimension. I'm sure hell, temporary hell, could be that way. But there's a pretty, I think, solid case for those that believe, and I'm kind of in that camp, that temporary hell in Abraham's bosom is a physical place that's located in the center of, of the earth. But here we have, now we have, this is the eternal lake of fire. So now we have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're the first three that are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, how long will they stay in the lake of fire? Okay. There's those, there's some that teach um, that, that, there's a, that, that eventually God, just in mercy or whatever, puts out the, all the people and they just end their existence. And I forget what the term is, but it's, um, I, I, don't, I don't think you see that anywhere in the Scripture, that, that this is always described as a place of eternal torment, which again is something we can't wrap our minds around to think that you're on fire for all of eternity and, and you, you never go out. Now, Quick, quick description, and we'll get to something here. But th- this is the basic biblical description of hell. Hell is eternal separation from God. Now, it, it's a powerful, powerful study when you start thinking of what the Bible describes happens in hell and why that is. And it's not God's punishment. I think we read last week the verse where Jesus said that hell wasn't created for you. Now, hell was created for the devil and his angels. But people are going to choose to go there, and God is going to honor their request to not have him part of their life. You know, he's not going to allow you to live your whole life pushing him away. I don't want God. I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't want Jesus. I don't want Jesus. I don't want God. And then the minute you die, he's going to force himself into your, into your life. He's going to honor the choice that you made all the way through. You don't want him. And then he's not even punishing you. What he's doing is he's going to just separate Himself. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? He, he, he was in such distress that the blood vessels were breaking on his head. The Father is looking into the Garden of um, Gethsemane as Jesus is sweating great drops of blood. Do you remember how the Father reacted? He said, he said send angels to my son. Angels, go to him. Like the Father's heart is breaking and he's watching the scene and, and he's telling the angels in heaven to go to Jesus and minister to him. And, and it, was, it was this momentary separation that Jesus would face on the cross that, that brought him to distress and to sweat great drops of blood, as it were, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus understood something. Listen, that if you and I could just get a little taste of it, it would change our lives. We don't want to be separated for God, not even for as Jesus would experience on the cross. But when, when these are eternally separated from God, do you know what the description of hell is? Again, it's just a separation. So this is what happens in hell. There's no love in hell. Why? Because God is the God of love. There's no mercy in hell. Why? Because God is mercy. There's no light in hell. Why? Because God is the God of light. God is light. You know, it's, it's a fire, but it doesn't produce light. People think that hell is a big bonfire where everybody, you know, drinks coors and, and dances around with pitchforks and the devil and, 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 you know, has a good old time. 
eternal separation, eternal isolation. You're not going to be with anybody. You're not going to be able to see the hand in front of your face for all of eternity while you're on fire, yet you can't see. And you'll never hear or talk to another person for all of eternity as you burn. And so again, you go through all the many, many, many attributes of God. God is love, and God is light, and God is mercy, and God is grace, and all those things are absent in hell just because God's presence is not there. He doesn't have to create these things. He just has to remove himself. And as he removes himself, these are the dynamics of things that we study as, as you see hell in the Scriptures. And then in verse number 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face and earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place in them. Everybody say great white throne. One more thing for me. Say two judgments. How many judgments are in the Bible? Two. Okay, listen. We're going to see one right here. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now remember, the other one is called the Bema Seat of Christ. Jesus taught of that in the Gospels. Um, and, and, and this one here. The, the very um, biggest difference is that at the Great White Throne Judgment, no believers will be present in what we're about to read. And how do I know that? Because every person that attends the Great White Throne Judgment will we'll join Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet in the eternal lake of fire. 100% of those that are at the great white throne judgment will be thrown into the lake of fire. At the Bema Seat of Christ, that is for, for you and I. That's a, that's a judgment for believers. The Bema Seat is not a judgment unto salvation or condemnation. The Bema Seat of Christ, you've already received salvation. You're going to have an enter into the rest of the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord. The Bema Seat of Christ is, is described as a rewards judgment, right? And so that's where, where your, your works are going to be tried. And it says that, that, that everything that you've done in this earth in the Bema Seat of Christ will go through the fire and what comes out the other side will be your reward. So you give to the church and, and you come to church, you serve, you pray, you, you're praying for Ukraine, you're, you're doing things for the Lord. These are works that we're called to as Christ followers. We're called to do good works. Now, our salvation has nothing to do with our works. Those things have to be separate. Cults, isms, schisms, the religions of the world mesh those things two together in, in a really bad way that confuses things. We have to separate them as Christ followers, right? Our works and, and salvation are two separate things. You're saved without works, apart from works. You can't add works to, to your salvation. Um, and and, and that's, that's a free gift of God. But we are called to works. We're called to work, and our works will be just. I teach sometimes that the Bema Seat of Christ is going to be a conveyor belt, and all of your good works, and all of your, all of your works, period, you're going to put on it. There's a fire in the middle, and because the Bible says what comes out the other side, what goes through the fire and, and survives, the things that we did. So you, you gave money. But, but you gave money with the wrong heart, the wrong attitude, because people saw you. Because you, wanted, you liked when people said, oh, hey, you're very good. Thank you for what you did. And you took the reward. Well, the Lord says, well, be careful. Because that is your reward when people recognize you and you did it for the wrong motive. Because in heaven, um, you know, one of the greatest rewards in heaven and rewards that will be received in heaven is by a woman who dropped in two mites in a plate in front of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Less than two pennies today. Great reward because it was a matter of the heart and she gave everything she had. And you could give hundreds of thousands of dollars and it won't compare to the woman's two mites because what God is judging is what? The heart, your heart, he sees your heart and he cares why you gave and the condition and the heart. So anyway, you, you, all these things, all these works that you do, they're going to be tried and God's going to test them and see, did you do it with the right motive? Did you do it for the right reason? And, and then can I reward you for it? And so there's a conveyor belt and all your works go on it and they're going to go through the fire. You're going to stand on the other side, right? You guys know what I'm going to say because I've said it a million times, right? When I was a kid, there was a game show, right? No whammies, no whammies. Big bucks, big bucks, you know, and you're going to pray that whatever comes off the other side is your reward, you know. That was the way I've always pictured the being the seat of Christ judgment that Jesus talks about. But um, since then, I, I've, I've, I've read some verses that, honestly, I think the being the seat of Christ very, very simply can be the eyes of Jesus. Because it says that his eyes will be like the eyes of fire. And I think when he looks at you, that purifying love and power is just right there. It's going to purify your good works and your bad works. That's the, the beam of seat of Christ. is just going to be staring into the eyes of Jesus. And it's going to do the work of the beam of seat. Okay? So we'll all be there. 
But the Bema Seat has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell. You're already going to heaven. You're saved. You're, you're going there. God's going to reward you. So yes, the Bible teaches levels of reward in heaven. How does that play out in heaven? Because we're all on the same streets of gold? I don't know. Jesus used the analogy of mansions. So some of you folks are going to get in by the skin of your teeth and you're going to have two boards leaning up against each other. And others of you, you know, are going to, like my wife, you know, she's going to have a big, huge house. That's why I'm going to stay close to her because I'm going to have two boards and I'll hang out at her place. So if you don't store for yourself a bunch of treasures, just make friends with somebody that, that does and then, you know, ask them if you can hang out at their place when you get there. But, you know, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's, yeah, like, Okay, verse number, oh, I read 11. Verse number 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And we say, ooh. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So it doesn't tell us what these books are. I imagine the Lord will have an open Bible there that day, too. The Word of God is eternal. The Bible says that Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away, that they're eternal. The word of God will last for all of eternity. That powerful. That, that deep. Maybe there's other books recording what they did. Maybe there's a big TV screen, and it just shows you in your worst moments. It, it displays every bad thought. The Bible says that we'll be judged for every idle thought you've ever thunk. Anybody, anybody want to stand there and be judged for everything you've ever done? And have the whole world to see at the great white throne judgment as you're standing there and all your sins and all your all your lawlessness and all your worst moments in history are flashing on the screen for you to see them. None of us would want to be there for that. You know, and that that's this great white throne judgment where everything is exposed, there's no hiding and, and it's seen, the books are open, everything is exposed, every thought, every intent of the heart. Um, and then it says, um, the books were opened in verse 12. In the middle of verse 12, the books were opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And so we have here um, in these verses 12 and 13, we have a resurrection of the saved. So those that are saved, they'll be resurrected, and they will go through the thousand-year tribulation period. The sea will give up its dead. Um, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And, and then in the and, and so all the saved folks before that time, through the seven years, will go into as the immortals in their glorified bodies into the thousand years. But it says here that 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 before the great white throne judgment, that there's a resu- another resurrection of the dead. And so these folks were the ones who were in Hades or or were in temporary hell, who were not saved that didn't get resurrected to go through the thousand years, they're going to be resurrected and judged after the thousand year reign of Christ here in verse 13, according to their works. And then verse 14, you guys there? It's going to get deep, and then good thing is I'm going to get into 21 today and hopefully leave you guys a little more encouraged than we started. It says in verse 21, now I... Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, I'll get there in a minute. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Now, death and Hades are temporary hell. Those are the terms that Jesus used, those Greek terms, Hades. They were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the word Gehenna. And that's eternal lake of fire that, that again, is, is, is eternal. So the same way as you're going to read in the next verse in 21, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Same idea for hell is that, that, that now we're going to enter the lake of fire, which is Gehenna, which is eternal. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so this is the great divide. This is the eternal separation um, for, for all, of, all of eternity. Amen? All right, so now we're going to switch gears. And, and, and so it's over. This is the final rebellion and everything we've been waiting for. Right? Everything that, that we hope for in this life. Is, is is now here. I wonder what this moment must feel like. I think you're just going to party, you know? So, somebody said, well, look what it says in verse 21. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Now, l- let me just tell you, and I'll show you a couple places, but this is not 
um, revelation as far as new revelation in, in the Word of God. Isaiah prophesied this same exact words. Um, Peter said these same things that the Word of God has said multiple times before we get to this point that there's going to come a day when God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Peter tells us how the old earth and heaven are going to be destroyed. Anybody know what, what it is? By fire. And, and that's very easily explained because the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. And at the center of, of every atom are positively charged, um, what are they? Ions. No, there's another word I was looking for, but that'll work. Neutrons that um, should repel and they don't. And science doesn't understand. And so, um, you know, we figured out how to split atoms, right? What was the result? Hiroshima, Nagasaki, the atom bomb. Um, so what happens when you, when you separate atoms? Everything that's, that you're made of, that this pulpit's made of, the chair's made of, are these positively charged, that they should repel. And, and, and science doesn't understand. They can look at it with a microscope, but they don't see why they, they hold together. And so they have a scientific term for this. You know what it's called? Atomic glue. They just don't know. It's just some kind of atomic glue that they can't see. But yet the Bible tells us very clearly in Colossians that it's Jesus that's holding all these things together. So what is he going to do at this point in history? He's going to let go. And heaven and earth are going to pass away. And then and then God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I never even thought of this wrinkle. It's kind of lame, but I don't know. It's in my head, so i got to say it. But um, like there's, there's this time where we come through the thousand years, and then the, the heaven and earth is, is going to be destroyed. And then, and then John says he sees a new heaven. Where are we during this time? <laughs> I'm sure God can handle it, right? Maybe we're just, maybe just put this out to the side somewhere where we're watching this. And maybe we get to view and we get to see God in this new heaven and earth say, um, let there be light. And let the heavens and the earth. And, and we get to, you know, see Genesis 1 as God creates. Now, the word create in your Bible in Genesis, Isaiah, other places, is the Hebrew word is bara. And it means to create from nothing. Only God can bara. Only God can create from nothing. You can give me some metal and the... And some pieces, I can make a pulpit. You can give me some wood, I can make a chair. But only God can create from nothing. So God is going to create from nothing a new heaven and a new earth. And this former heaven, um, or this current heaven and current earth, where people are today, where God resides today, is going to go away. And he says, verse 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Does that make you surfer sad? For those of us that want to spend our time in Hawaii, Kauai, Hawaii, uh, it's a little bit of a bummer. But, you know, I want to tell you, and who knows, three-quarters of the earth right now is covered with water. I think it's like 74% of the earth's surface is covered in water. And without that, you know, how much more place is there for just the world to, 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 to explore and to, to have and to live? And, and, and they can give us a description. We're not going to get to it today, but we're going to get a physical description of the size of heaven in, the, in, in this chapter. And it's about the size of... Uh, New Jerusalem is about the size of the moon, but it's it's enormous amount of space because the the way it's described is not like here where we only live on the surface of it, but it's dimensional. And so with the dimensions, the size of, of, of New Jerusalem is phenomenal. It's astronomical, so big that people say this has to be type or typology or metaphor, but it's not physical and, and again, understand that, that eternal heaven, the way it's described here, is two parts. There's a new heaven and a new earth. So you have the earth, that, that, and, and it doesn't give us the size of the earth. It only gives us the size of New Jerusalem, which is a city that, that some of you have seen pictures of. it. I'd, I'd show them, but none of them would just... It gives your mind something to think about, but none of them would be... They're, they're so far from doing it, they need justice. That it's just kind of tragedy to even try to show a picture. But there are those that have drawn it. Basically, it's, you can picture an earth with a cube or a square sitting on top of it. And that square or that cube is New Jerusalem. And there's two parts, right? It's pretty clear. A new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven is the holy city called New Jerusalem. So um, it, it appears that we'll have a place in the city. That's where the temple is. That's where God's going to reside. And then we'll also have access to the earth. You know, the earth is pretty fabulous, right? I mean, forget all the corruption, all this stuff, but just what, what there is to do in the earth and explore and see and, and just the phenomenon that is, is, is nature. And just to have the whole brand new world with a whole brand new creation. No see. But listen, God, whatever God is going to create in its place is going to be a million times better, I promise you. 
that heaven is going to be so much better. Anything that God's going to take away, he's just, he's, you know, there's a sea of glass there, you know, so maybe the surfers don't have to be bummed out too bad. And, and, and just never the idea. The Bible says that it has not entered the heart or the mind of men the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. That, that, that no matter how much you can imagine what what a paradise in heaven would be. When I was, I don't know, I was probably like junior high, maybe a little bit after, but we used to bring these peachy folders. Regular peachy folders were just, uh, they were just like manila colored. They had like some athletes with sports stuff on the outside, peachy folders in school. Anybody? Just me. Well, they had these folders when I was younger, and they were um, they were school folders, and there was an artist who had designed them, and on, on the, the picture was some paradise, basically. And so, the, But the way he would do them is you, he, there would be some kind of water, body of water coming through the middle. So again, imagine just green, lush, trees, mountains, snow-capped, birds. But then as the water would come through the middle, you could also see what was happening in the water and under the water. So you get this underwater scene going on. They were beautiful. They were really cool. And it was a picture of paradise. And that guy did a really good job. And with, even with the dimension of, of the earth and the, and the water's like flat along there, but it was drawn in such a way that you could see what was going on in the water. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and, and even today with the imagination that we have and what we can do with movie making and all those things, at the very, very best that man can come up with, going to be like a booger compared to what God's going to, a hairy, big, green booger to what God's going to do. I had a pastor when I was just before Bible college, and he used that exact example, and I hated it so bad, and I've said it like 500 times in my ministry, and I keep swearing that'll be the last time, but that's the way it's stuck in my head. It's a booger. At the very best, of what, what, what compared to what God's going to do in heaven and what it's going to be like. So you have, again, this new heaven, this new earth. I want to show you a couple of these things just because I mentioned them. So let's let's reference them. If you want to flip with me for a minute, you can. I'm going to go to Isaiah. So find Isaiah chapter 65, right after the Psalms and Proverbs. In Isaiah chapter 65, in verse number 17, it says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Where have we read that before? Revelation 21. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, verse 17, Isaiah 65, and the former shall be shall not be remembered or come to mind. I taught on this verse one time, and after church, some woman was really upset. Her, her, somebody she had loved had passed away, and, and this says that the former things will be remembered no more. And, and she's like, does that mean that, that, that they don't remember me and that my loved ones are... And, and that's not what it's saying at all. That's, that's not the idea. Okay? But yes, there comes a time. It's going to, we're going to read in the next verse when we get back to Revelation. It's going to say that God is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, one first thing is, in order for us to be in heaven and God to wipe away a tear, what has to, what has to be present? So there is a tear that is shed. And, and maybe, do, do we know, will you know of your loved ones that didn't make it to heaven? I don't know. Maybe there's a season. Maybe at first you do know. And that creates a tear. Maybe at the, at some point though that God's going to wipe those things away because for eternal heaven there's no fears there's no years there's no tears there's no sadness there's no discomfort and if you live through all of eternity knowing somebody that you love here on earth with all your heart wasn't with you it would create a, a a sadness so maybe there is a tear maybe you get a moment where you you realize some things and then God takes those things away and that's what it's saying here that there's going to come a point. Well, no matter what tragedy or travesty or things in your past, that God is going to wipe those things away. And for all of eternity, you're going to live in perfect joy and peace. And so there will come a time when you will remember no more. In verse 18, it says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying and then in First uh, Peter, in First Peter chapter three, or maybe not Second Peter, Second Peter three, in Second Peter three it says in verse number ten, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, 
What manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Second Peter 3.13 So that's the second, third place now in the Bible that we've read today where God's Word promises there's coming a day when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. In verse number 2 of Revelation, it says, Then I, then I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. You know, I think maybe as we're watching this, and again, maybe God's going to put us in some place as the earth and the old heaven and earth is, is being burned with fire and a new heaven and new earth, and we're watching and we're seeing this scene. And, and John describes it now. The city is not the groom. Some of us said, oh, we're married to this city, the bride. No, no, that's not what it's saying. John is just using the, the, the most creative um, analogy that he can, you know, because ladies, there's one day in your whole life, right, where it's it's the day you're going to do the most, the best, is on your wedding day, right? And, and, and the best dress, the best makeup, the best hair, everything on a woman's wedding day. And so he said it's like a bride adorned for her husband, meaning that it's at its very best. You know, the, the Bible says that um, God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, and on the seventh day he rested. He did a pretty amazing job in six days, right? In what we have, the heavens and the earth, the universe. Any of you guys, um, I, I didn't see it this morning, or I haven't seen it in a couple of weeks, actually. But early in the morning, out here, like in our southeastern sky, there's a light that is so bright, it looks like an airplane. Um, looks like a street light. And, and I'm sitting in the jacuzzi in the mornings, and, you know, four or five in the morning, and um, keep watching it because it's like a plane or it's something that's going to move. And for an hour, it just sits there. It's like, okay, this is... And so I get out the app on my phone and I look it up and it's Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. They're kind of all aligned right here. Some are just below the horizon. And, but I mean, you know, when I grew up, they told me the North Star was the brightest star. I don't know if I've ever seen the North Star, but I guess these aren't stars. They're planets. But you can see them and they are pronounced in the sky um, just right there. And it's so bright. I don't know if it's still there, but you still see it. But that app is pretty cool. If you don't have it, it's just an app and you put on your phone and you go like this through the sky and it tells you and it grabs the different stars and tells you what they are and so anyways I'm saying God did, does great things right God created in six days the heavens and the earth and all that's in them you and I and then Jesus said I'm going away to prepare a place for you and if I go away and prepare a place for you I will come again to myself how long has Jesus been gone about 2,000 years so if he created the heavens and the earth in six days and he's been gone for 2,000 years preparing a place for us when he think he has in store. Are you bummed that there's no more sea there? No, right? Because, again, whatever he's been creating and whatever he's doing for you, you know, it's heaven. It's heaven for a reason. And so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a cool thought. Um, I want to talk a little bit about being eternally minded really quickly. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians. And I want you guys to kind of know this chapter as kind of the heavenly-minded chapter. Colossians chapter 3. Come through there. Or find it somewhere if you would on your app. Um, I, I, some, of you, I, some of you have seen... I'm just going to show quickly, but anyway. Should have done this first. Alright, just imagine with me, will you? I didn't come up with this again. I've seen another pastor do this, and I thought it was pretty cool, but this is called an eternity rope. Okay, so this is a timeline. So you imagine this timeline, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Forget that it stops right there. Just pretend like it keeps going forever and ever and ever, just like eternity, because we'll be in heaven for all of eternity. And then this, this gray part here, this is your life here on earth, and this is where you die, and then again, this is where you go into heaven. So how much of, you know this life will you see in heaven if this goes on and on and on forever. Eventually, it'll never compare, right? You spend, uh, how long do you guys plan on living? Me? About 70 years and no days. Giving to a man 70 years, at 70 years, I'm like, Lord, please. If I'm still, my wife doesn't like it when I, when I tease like this, but I'll be happy at 70. If I die before that, you guys praise the Lord. Don't be sad. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, no, it don't sound so good, right? When you're like 67, you know, like, but I'm only 27, so 70 is just a long way away. And it, but if you live 70 years and then you live in eternity for a million, a million and a half, two million, ten million, hundred million, how, how does it compare? How does 70 years compare to 100 million? Not even dropping about it, right? It's just it's lame. It doesn't even compare. It's so so futile. And so here here's our life, and here's how we spend our life, right? We work, 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 work. We don't invest anything in God's kingdom. We don't prepare for God's kingdom. We just work, 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 so that right here in this little place, in the black part's where we die. So right about here, I want to retire with this nest egg so that I could travel in this part of my life. And that's how we spend our life. We work for 50 years to save all this money, and so that right here... We can go to Hawaii. But you know what happens right here? You get Alzheimer's and you never make it to Hawaii. And your grandkids spend all your money. I, I have a... Um, let me read this verse to you guys in Colossians. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Listen, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. That's a command. Okay? For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life here on earth is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with God in Christ. And so, you know, our, our, our missionary, Jeremy Bear, he's this kid who grows up in Utah. And he grows up Mormon his whole life. And in his, in his teens, he gets saved. And he gets online and he gets a, a set of chest tapes and he starts... He doesn't know no churches in his area, and he starts, he somehow gets hooked up at Calvary Chapel, so he gets a bunch of Chuck tapes, starts listening to Chuck tapes, and decides at some point, 21 years old, that he's going to start a Calvary Chapel. Gets a hold of the right people, and he starts a church up here in Ogden, Utah. And just like our church plant here, in about four or five years, they had about 350 people coming, they had a building, they had a worship team, and Jeremy and his family are... Um, and, and Jeremy was involved with Calvary Chapel, and so he's traveling to the pastor's conferences like I do and connecting with the other pastors. And I always tease, I always tease Jeremy because Jeremy is he, he's that, that, that like gift envy guy. Like the rest of the pastors envy him because not one person should have all of the gifts, right? Like he, he's pretty like Rico Suave. He can preach like, Jer- like Levi Lesko. He can play the guitar like Jeremy Camp, like... He's got all the gifts, like musical gifts, preaching gifts. He's charismatic. He's, he's just, you know. And, of course, because of who he is, like he's grabbing attention of some of the pastors at Calvary Chapel. And so they, they recruit him. And they say, hey, we want you to go to Hungary and to run the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Hungary, the European campus. And so Jeremy comes to me one day as, the, you know, him and I were, were fellowshipping. And he was pastor at Calvary here in Ogden. And, and he's telling me what's going to happen. He's telling me he's going to turn the church over to a 21-year-old kid. And, um, and so, but he knows he's called to go to Hungary. So he's going to take his family and his three boys, and they're going to move to Hungary. Well, he goes to tell his mom about, about what God is doing and what, what he's going to do. And his mom, who, who raised him Mormon his whole life, is still very Mormon, is you know, still trying to figure him out. And, and she's kind of excited, he says. She's like, Wow, my son, the European entrepreneur. Like, this is so cool. Like, really? You're going to move to Europe and be, you know, run a Bible college? And she's like, wow, Jeremy, what's a job like that pay? And he's like, Mom, they don't pay me. I have to pay them. And her entire countenance just changes. And she said, You fool. You fool. I'm going to ask you, who, who's the fool? Who's the fool? Is Jeremy a fool who's going to, rather than, than, than work for himself and try to save money and find a real entrepreneur job where he can build a bunch of money up so that right here he can retire with a little nest egg so that he can enjoy this part of his life. And then go and spend the rest of this life that goes on and on and on and on and on and on forever broke. With two boards leaning against each other in heaven because instead he decided to invest in this part of his life. Makes no sense, right? It's a no-brainer. That the Bible tells us here in Colossians, Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? I'm going to try to get this out of the way so that when the worship team comes back up, I don't trip them on it. Um, all right, back to Revelation. We're almost on the worship team. Actually, you guys can come up. 
That analogy is online. Done a lot better than I did it today. So you can look it up. But you got the point, right? Colossians chapter 3. You hold the revelation for a second. But I just want to remind us, listen. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Listen. Set your mind on things above. What, what, what are the things above that he's talking about? Heaven, right? We're talking about heaven in this context. Jesus is there. And by the way, do you know what you, what's going to make heaven so fabulous? The streets of gold and all that are cool and everything else that I described, trying to, trying to make it awesome, you know, that, that's all good. But ultimately, what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is going to be there and you're going to have total access to him. And the Father is going to be there. And it says that you will be his children and he will be your God. And there won't be any praying and, you know, hoping that God is hearing you and begging God to, to intervene on your behalf. You will have access to the throne of God. And you'll be with Jesus. And I don't know how that'll work with the multi-millions of billions of people that'll be in heaven and that you all have access to Jesus. Amen? So it says, focus on things above, not on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then one more verse, you guys, in Revelation, because I want to kind of have this cut right here for next week. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All the things you guys hope for, God is going to bring all those things. I have a little note here in my Bible, and it says, no more dot, dot, dot. And, and you could just fill in the blanks. Anything that, that's no more of in your life, that, that's no more there. In verse 5, it says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he will be my son. And we'll pick up in verse 8 with the cowardly next week because they're not going to be there. But, you know, I, I want you to underline that word overcome in your Bible. You know, the Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. And I just want to encourage you that there is a promise to those who overcome. And that we can't quit. We can't give up. And, and, and this life is, I don't want to be one of those preachers like, oh, life is hard and then you die. You know, no, 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 no. God, God is good and God wants you to have joy in this life and joy, joy, joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But when, when we get discouraged, you know, I, I, I go through this. I, I go through times where, you know, I want to quit. I want, I want to do something else. I want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I just, I want to quit. And, 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 and we can't quit. Because the promise is, and I, I remember this verse in those times. I'm like, I have to overcome. If I want all these promises of God's word, it says that these promises are to him who overcomes. I gotta hang in there. I gotta keep fighting. I gotta keep trusting the Lord. I gotta keep digging into Him. I gotta keep finding the joy of the Lord for my strength. I can't quit. I can't bow out. There's going to come a day when we are going to receive amazing rewards in heaven. But in the meantime, there's work to do, and there and there's ministry to share, and there's people to love. And uh, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. As always, here in our church, we, uh, we want to give everybody an opportunity to make sure that your hearts and right, lives are right with the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe what it says in the Bible, that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not of your own works, lest any man boast, that it's a free gift of God. And so that starts with a, a decision that you make in your heart. We try to uh, uh, represent that decision through a prayer, but ultimately it's a decision. Prayer is the avenue, but it doesn't go anywhere unless it's a decision of your heart that you want to commit your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that, and as you surrender your heart and Lord to the Jesus to the Lord Jesus Christ, then then the words that, that we use they just they just come from the heart. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you're in here today and you you need to give your life to Christ or you need to rededicate your life, I want to I want you to pray this prayer with me. And uh, if you're a believer in Jesus and you know, I'm sure we all got areas to improve. You can just pray for that you grow closer in the love of Jesus, that you would feel um, God's presence in your life. You know, I've been, um, I've been there, there's a book by Alex Bay called Pray Big, and I've been challenging myself on this concept, and I've been asking God, I've been telling Jesus, you know, and it's just a big prayer, but, you know, I want to see him. I want to I I experience something of God that's just 
motivates me, that, that, that forces me to love Jesus more than I love my sin. And, and I do. I do love sin. I, I wouldn't do it. There's things in life that, that, that I struggle with and I go through. And, um, and, and I just want to love Jesus more than I love those things. And in order for that to happen, I, I'm asking Him to do something big. Show me Himself. Give me an experience, something. Let the Holy Spirit just be poured out upon me. And, you know, Moses asked to see God and, and he saw Him. And, and just to really find a way to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And, um, and, and, and just just get to the place where, you know, I just love Jesus so much that I don't want those other things. I don't want anything else in my life. I just want to pray. I want to seek God. I want to know God. I want to share God. I want God to deliver me and help me. You know, and so we all got room to grow. I want to, I want to, I want my prayer time just to be real relational and, and, and hear God's voice. And so I just want to wake up. I don't want to feel like I have to turn the TV on or watch the game, that I'd rather just pray. And I'm not there. I'm not there. I want to be there. I want to be in a place where I just am in love with Jesus more and more and more and more. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the great love of God. And Lord, we want to respond to your love. We want to know you, Jesus. We want to be so motivated by heaven. We want to be so heavenly minded that we are amazingly earthly good. Father, that, that we keep our head in the clouds, that we keep our head focused on eternity and the eternity rope and knowing that we're going to spend all of eternity and we're going to stand before you in the beam of judgment of Christ and we're going to be rewarded based on our work here on the earth. Lord, help us to know you, Jesus. Help us, God, to see your face and fall in love with you so much, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to love you more than we love our sin, to love you more than we love the things of this world, God. And Father, we just love you. Lord, we want to love you more. Lord, we want to know you more, God. Lord, if you're in here, if you're in here today um, and you want to get your life right with Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Give you my, give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender all of my heart. I want to come to you. I want to come back to you. I want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys.